0: This is On The Grid, powered by theracetalk.com, on mypodcasthouse.com. G'day everyone and welcome to our first episode of 2020 for On The Grid here on mypodcasthouse.com. Thank you for joining us. Of course, On The Grid is powered by theracetalk.com. Make sure you jump on there over the next few days and find out all All the information that you need to find out about for the Bathurst 12-hour. Coming up today, the man who is, well, there wouldn't be a Bathurst 12-hour. I seriously mean that. Richard Crowell joins us very shortly to talk about it. Chris Myers, who's driving uh, one of the Audi Sport team's cars uh, up in Bathurst. Of course, uh, one up there a couple of times and also happens to hold the fastest official lap of Bathurst. We'll talk to him about this weekend. And Mark Walker to join us as well. All that to come right here on The Grid, powered by talk.com All right, catching up for a chat on our first program for 2010 is the man that runs the Bathurst 12-hour. I know he'll say he won't. I not Richard Quayle, oh, <laughs> you're up in Bathurst. Welcome back to On The Grid, my friend.
1: Uh, thanks, mate. Nice to be back for 2020. I don't run the event. Uh, I look after the media and PR for it and call it. Uh, but there are smarter people than I that actually make the day to day decisions. But I appreciate the intro nonetheless. And isn't it nice to be back for a new season?
0: It's fantastic to be back for a new season of On the Grid. And what a great way to start with such an impressive uh, lineup hitting the mountain this weekend.
1: I thought you were going to say impressive line-up on the show. Got well, well, all the all the stars. Uh, yeah, look, mate, this this race is phenomenal. It's uh, I, I don't. I wrote a column on the race talk the other day that said um, that argued the point that this could be the best field that's ever been assembled at this place, and and I don't just mean for the twelve hour. I mean for for any race because when you look on paper at this entry list, there are twenty cars that strike me as being absolute 100% potential cars that could finish on the podium on Sunday afternoon at about 5.45. It's a remarkable grid filled with depth, filled with enormous variety and, and some unbelievably talented drivers um, from all corners of the globe that um, that are going to put on a hell of a show, I think, this weekend.
0: So, Richard, what do you say the most impressive uh, feel that has ever hit Mount Panorama. Are you talking about driver-wise? Are you talking about car-wise? Or is it an absolute <clears throat> combination of the... Well,
1: I'm talking about the broad... When you sit down and look at the entry list, you look at it and go, there are 20 cars that could win this thing. And there aren't many races you can do that. And and even the Bathurst 1000, which we all love and which is unquestionably the great race, and no-one questioned question that... Um, at least not on this show because they'll, they'll get a black ban, I would have thought, for the year. Um, but even, even in supercars, there's never more than six, maybe eight cars that you look at and go, yep, absolutely could win that thing. Yep, that one could win it. And, and last year was, was case in point that it was the two Shell Fords, the two Red Bull cars, Walk and Shaw look pretty strong. There were one or two others. But outside of that, unless you have a crazy 2014-style race, you're not going to win the 1,000, and, but that's just the nature of the game. But this race is so broad. There are so many factory-supported, backed teams that are filled to the brim with professional driving talent from here and abroad that, that I just think this field is broadly the deepest in terms of legitimate race contenders that we've ever had at this point.
0: Yep. We talk about the factory-backed teams, and that's probably suggests where the winner will come from. We've got the Audis, we've got the Bentleys, Honda, Mercedes. Am I right in saying that, that a factory-backed team is probably a favoured team to win?
1: Uh, yeah, probably. I, I, I think you've got to start at Porsche, and, and they've got four unbelievably good cars, three in the Pro Class, one in Pro-Am, um, defending champions El Bamba Motorsport with Lauren Vanthor. Earl Bamber, and a bloke called Craig Lowndes that you may may have heard of before. Yeah, um, that's, a, that's a phenomenal combination. Um, Bamber and Banthor coming off um, second at Daytona last weekend in class. Craig Lowndes will just do Craig Lowndes stuff. So that's fantastic. And then absolute racing with two 911s um, are going to be very, very good. Matt Campbell's in car number 911. Um, he's coming off a podium finish at Daytona last weekend as well. He's got... Matthew Jaminet and Patrick Pillet with him. Dirk Werner, who won the race last year as well with Matt, is in the team car. So all of the Porsches are really good. And even the, the Pro-Am Porsche, which has run out of the Alabama Bamba Motorsports stable, is David Calvert-Jones, who's the Pro-Am driver. But then um, Mr. I've won everything in sports car racing. Romain Dumas, who's won Le Mans, Daytona, Sebring, just about everything else, um, has got Jackson Evans, a friend of the show, alongside him. So even that is a, is a contender. But... I mean, it, it's so deep. We need an hour just to run through the whole list. Both Bentleys are very, very good. There are three very, very strong Audis from Audi Sport team, Valvoline. The favourite for mine in that is the one with Garth Tander in it, with Chris Meese, the double winner, and Mirko Bortolotti, the very, very fast Italian. He's going to be strong. Um, I mean, it, it's impossible, mate, to pull apart all of these cars one by one without without looking at almost the entire field. AMG are phenomenal. They've got three really, really strong cars. Um, and then there's some of the variables. You mentioned the Honda. It's the first time we've seen that car here. There's no doubt the drivers will be up to the job, even though they've not been to this place before. We don't know what the Honda's going to be like. It might turn out to be the absolute gun car to have at Mount Panorama. We just don't know because it's it's a brand new thing to Australia. never raced here before. So the list goes on, mate. That That's the race. That's how good it is. R Motorsport, Aston Martins, Rick Kelly and Scott Dixon, in a car together with Jake Dennis, who was so good here 12 months ago. I could go on and on and on, and unless you stop me, I will. But um, this is why I say picking a winner for this race is just so unbelievably difficult. And for the last couple of years, we've had four, five, six, or even seven different brands fill the top six or seven positions at the end of the race, um, which is what makes it so compelling.
0: Chas Mostert, driving a BMW, did a fantastic job at Daytona, winning his mm. class up there. Uh, a chance?
1: Yep, 100%. Finished fifth last year here and Augusto Farfus. They, they drove together last weekend at the Rolex and got themselves a nice shiny watch to bring back with them. Nicky Katzberg jumps into that car. It's the only BMW in the race, but absolutely strong. So I didn't even get to them when I was rattling through everybody else, and yet... They are 100% a contender, and the M6 has always been a a fast car here. In fact, just to show you the depth of the international talent in the race, there are 23 drivers doing the double that raced at Daytona last weekend that will race here. Um, 11 of them were on the podium last weekend in one of the four classes in the Daytona 24. So that shows how strong these international drivers are and then peppered with some of the very best from here. And, of course, we haven't even talked about Triple Eight that have got Shane Van Gisbergen and Jamie Whincup together with factory AMG driver Maxi Gotts in um, in their real attempt at an outright result again after coming close to a podium last year in the Vodafone car. So there's another one that, that will definitely be in the game somewhere come Sunday afternoon if things go right.
0: I think what I like, Kralzi, and I think what a lot of the fans like also is the fact that Up until a year or two ago, this used to clash with uh, supercars testing days and all that sort of stuff, and there was a real sort of uh, shake of the head in regards to supercar drivers who got involved. Now, all of a sudden, with supercars as part of the uh, promotional team, we see all of the big names that we would normally see up there in October, and it just makes this field stand out even more, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, and and that's what I love. It it was 2015 that we had the, the drama with the test day clash, and All the politics involved in that and and it turned out that supercars ultimately bought the event and and now run it um yeah and that that's a a very unique chapter in the race's history that will that will be remembered for a very very long time and it had some really positive outcomes because it it proved that the race could stand on its own two feet without the household famous names like a craig Lowndes, like a shane van gisberg and a jamie winkup um but there's no doubt that having those guys in this race is better for everybody and, and that's what I love about it is that in a supercar, you, you know how good you are against other people that race supercars. But in a GT3 car, you know how good you are against people that race the same cars that are driven in various international and domestic championships in so many different countries around the world now. GT3 is ubiquitous. It's global. It's an international category. So if you drive a GT3 car well here, you can drive a GT3 car well anywhere and compete with the best. And this is the opportunity to show how good our guys are on a level playing field, on a world stage.
0: And Crozier, I think it should also be mentioned too, the respect that this event now holds and has for a couple of years now in the world world of GT racing. It is right up there as one of the premier events, isn't it?
1: Yep, no doubt. It's the the big one to win. That's why there's so much manufacturer and brand support for it as well. It's right up there as... As one of the must-win GT races on the program, which is a, a testament to the way the event has grown, but also to this place. and And Bathurst is Bathurst; it's unique, it's completely and utterly special, no matter what's racing here. Um, and it's internationally renowned because of the history it's got from, you know, 60 years of the 1000 and, and the long distance stuff that's been built up over the period.
0: I'm yet to get up there for an event due to the fact that cricket always takes my. Uh Place at this time of year with finals and the like. But one thing that I do notice when I watch it on the TV, but it doesn't do the race any justice, I've got to say. Mm. You might be able to fill me in a bit more. The amount of downforce that these cars carry around the mountain and just how much of an advantage that is, including to the fact that one of these cars a couple of years ago with Chris Mees in it broke the track record.
1: Yeah, it did a 59. It was running unrestricted, so not the same spec that it will run this weekend. Um, Yeah, mate, they're super fast, but they produce their speed very differently to a supercar. Um, A supercar is about straight line performance down Conrod, quicker up, going up the the steep bits as well, because a supercar has got more torque, more horsepower to drag them up the hill. These cars are about aero, they're about downforce. So from the cutting to forest elbow across the top of Mount Panorama, a GT3 car is somewhere between... 2.5 2.5 to 4 seconds faster mm. than a supercar. The the supercar will pull back that time down the chutes and going up the hill as well. So that's why we've seen these cars in race conditions here do high 201s. Um, unrestricted, they're doing 59s. Supercars in race conditions are doing 4s um, in qualifying spec, of course, Scott McLaughlin into the 3s. So that's the difference. But they're unbelievably quick, these things. And to watch a, a full aero car like a GT3 car, they've got so much downforce, to watch them hammer across the top of this place is really, really fascinating. But that's what works about this event, is it's not the same as October. It's a different style of racing. The, the outcome and the the drama and the way that it plays out is often very, very similar, but that's the nature of this place. But the the style of car is just so dramatically different that it's very, very difficult to compare it to the October race, but and it stands on its own, and that's what is part of the great appeal of the 12-hour and, and why this Bathurst calendar, and it will be same to an extent for, and it is the same for the six-hour at Easter because that's a completely different kettle of fish and, and the new event, the Bathurst International, in November this year with TCR cars running here for an endurance race, that'll be different again. They've all got a point of difference, and I love that, how this is all evolve naturally at Mount Panorama with these different events, different cars, different styles of racing. But yeah, look, a GT3 car at full noise at this place is pretty special and it takes a really good racing car driver to extract a a great lap time out of it, which is part of the reason why I'm so pumped about the field this weekend is because there's a lot of really, really good racing car drivers on the grid.
0: Kazi, one of the things that seems to be a little anomaly with the event is that the fact that the field isn't finalised until really late, like a week or so before the event actually starts, even up to the last few days. The reasoning for that?
1: Uh, well, part of it is PR and that we know a lot of, as an event, the driver combinations a long time before they're announced. Okay. But there's a, there's a media strategy for a one-off event that is, why would you drop it all at one hit? Uh, when you can drip feed it over a couple of weeks and get more bites at the cherry and getting PR and interest on social media and things like that. Um, two is a commercial thing in that the teams and brands, because there's so much manufacturer involvement in this race that they like to do their own thing as far as announcements go. So that probably plays a yeah. role as well. Um, but the, the fact is that while it is part of the intercontinental GT challenge, that's a series for brands, not so much the driver. So there's not so much a requirement to pin down who's going to steal, uh, steer your car until you get a bit closer. There's quite a few one-off entries. This is a a race that attracts a, a one-off team who put together their own campaign for it so that it doesn't have that full season certainty of an entry list like a supercar race does, for example. So a lot of the combinations do take some time to, to come together. But because it's a one-off unique event, not everything um, gets pinned down all at the same time.
0: For those of us who can't get up to the mountain, like myself again this weekend, thank you, Melbourne Stars. Uh, <laughs> what? Where can we watch uh, Channel 7 hosting it this year?
1: Well, for starters, um, that's frustrating about the Stars because uh, it'll be a pretty hasty exit from the final series if their history is anything to go by.
2: Yeah, that's another um, second,
1: secondly, uh, yeah, massive coverage this year. So Fox Sports are on board for the first time. So Saturday is. Exclusive on Fox, coverage starts at 12.30 Eastern Daylight Time with two parts of qualifying, a 40-minute all-in session, then a shorter 25-minute session for the Class A cars. That will determine who goes through to the shootout in the afternoon. That takes place at 5 o'clock as per uh, your your October shootout as well. It's just one of the great moments in sport, a top-10 shootout at this place. So that's uh, live on Fox and KO, and then Sunday – uh, live on Fox ad break free and live on Seven Mate on free to air. So simulcast uh, much in the same way the October races as well. And uh, yeah, great team. will bring that to you over the course of the weekend. So uh, then there's live streaming on Saturday morning too for the support races in the last Bathurst 12 hour practice session, and then on Friday uh, where there's four 12 hour practices, there's uh, live audio streaming. Thanks to our mates at com who will bring that as well. So plenty of ways to follow it, um, live and free. It's on Fox, ad break free, um, international streaming. For those of you that listen to On The Grid from other markets, you can watch it on the Bathurst 12-hour website.
0: And one of the uh, great names of Australian motorsport commentary, Neil Crompton, joins the team for the first time.
1: Yes, he does, which is exciting. Uh, and Crompton is the 1994 Bathurst 12-hour winner. So there's some there's some history there with this event um, back in – a. A very, very different day, a different era, but uh, Crompo knows how to win uh, a 12-hour endurance race. So it's going to be cool to have his insight. He'll be guiding uh, a big supercars preview as part of the Fox Sports coverage between sessions on Saturday. And then in the race on Sunday, he'll be jumping in the lane. He'll be feeding a bit of insight, a bit of knowledge from his vast motorsport brain uh, into the broadcast, which is very cool. I'm, I'm really looking forward to working with Crompio on this uh, over the weekend. It's a, it's a cool addition to what is already a very cool little broadcast team that's done this race for a couple of years now.
0: Crazy, for all of us uh, who get the opportunity to listen to you on the television and the like and your co-commentators during the broadcast, just take us through the 10 or 15 minutes leading up to the start of this race and what is going through your veins and your body heading into that?
1: Um, that's a very good question. It's, it's a weird experience because we're only on air for 15 minutes before the, before the race actually starts, and so it's very, great. very busy. It's, it's, we're on air at, at half past five in the a.m. It's generally a 3.30 a.m. start, a couple of shots of coffee to get the heart racing when you get to the track, um, and then it's just basically going through notes, prepping, making sure that you've got everything sorted, and then you're on air and then bang, 15 minutes later, you're in the race. It's a cool time because there's people filing into the circuit, trail of lights coming into the racetrack from town. Um, And then that first hour, it's the most special moment, special hour of motor racing for me Um, all season long. As the sun rises and you get that amazing golden light if we're lucky. Um, And the race pace is generally pretty hot early in the morning because the ambient conditions are nice and cool. So uh, it's busy. Um, By Sunday for a race like this, if you're not ready – you're gonna have a really long day. So yeah. the ideal is just to to roll in Sunday morning without worrying about too much and everything that's played out is played out and then it's just a it's a day of test match cricket from there Ship Exit and yeah. it, it genuinely is like a test match this race. It ebbs and it flows and there's periods where it seems like not a lot's going on. But what it is is the fast bowler running in and bowling just a little bit wide of off stunt and just A whole series of dot balls before they bowl that full pitch yorker and take center and leg out Um, there's periods like that where the race is just circulating but behind the scenes you know there's stuff going on that it's going to get to a moment where it all bursts and i love that about this race and it ebbs and flows and then without question something mad goes on in the final hour and we get a stunning race finish as bathurst always delivers but it's it's a i don't actually find it an overly challenging race to call because of that, yeah. um, because it is so – there's so much going on all the time. There's always something to follow. It have never got to a point in the race where you go, gee, I think we've talked about everything. This is a bit boring. I don't know if that's just me being slightly unique and slightly weird. Could be, probably likely, but um, that's just the nature of this race and, and the way it plays out.
0: And without uh, trying to, to take too much information from you, Uh, that first hour when it's pitch black car identification take us through that as a commentator and is it predominantly a lot of work off the time sheets
1: uh yep yep you're calling to a timing monitor um fortunately because the field's so diverse and there's 11 different gt3 brands they've all got different headlights and they're all because they're all for the most part exotic supercars and gt style cars all their headlight designs are pretty and this sounds ridiculous but it's a fact. All their headlight designs are pretty out there and pretty unique. Yeah. So you can actually pick them up by their headlight. So even if you've got a car blazing at you straight up into the camera, all you can see is the lights. Generally, you can pick them. But yeah, it's a lot of reference to the timing monitor. Um, it's a lot of visual cues just to to see what's going on, and and then obviously that opportunity when you get a car side on. The the other fortunate thing with this event is we can we can see out commentary box window onto pit straight. So when they come past we can do a visual check mm. as well. Yeah, it's it's not easy to call and it, it's not like the Sydney Supernight event. It's not bright. Um there's very little lighting. Street lights down the bottom of Mount Panorama, but certainly nothing like a, a permanent lighting setup at a racetrack. So yeah, it's it's sometimes gets hard to ID and but you've just got to fumble your way through. And I, I think it to be honest, it makes it quite authentic. And authentic's a terrible word in some instances, but the experience you get watching that first hour on TV is pretty much the same as you get when you're at the circuit yeah. because a lot of it's watching racing by braille. Um, you're sort of just guessing what's going on until you can actually confirm it. And TV a bit like that as well. But I think that adds to it. It adds to the drama and a bit of the mystique of that first, first hour or two of motor race.
0: Mate, and to use your cricket analogy, I'm sure you'll be standing up there raising a bat after another fantastic century in the commentary box.
1: I can tell you what, Chebex, much like cricket, at the end of a 12-hour day, the beer does not taste any better. I've got to to tell you. That first first beer you crack at the end of the day is uh, bloody satisfying. No, look, thanks, mate. It's a mega race. I I genuinely love it. I've worked in it for uh, all of its history since it came back in 2007 and and PR'd it for a while. So we're all pretty proud of what this race has become. But um, it's generally my favourite race of the year. I love how it plays out. I love the diversity. And um, I think this year has every chance to be an absolute cracker and um, and one of the best we've seen yet, fingers crossed.
0: Go on, give us a winner.
1: Uh, no, no, oh. absolutely not. Not a chance. Not a chance. It, it is uh, – seriously, mate, it is impossible to pick a winner for this one.
0: All right. We'll uh, wait until uh, 5.30, 6 o'clock on uh, Sunday night, and hopefully it'll be a little bit more clearer to us. Having said that, though – do as if it's a finish like last year and nothing will be well, clear.
1: Yeah, I was like I was gonna say, you could text me with a lap to go and ask me who I think will win, and I won't tell you because it might change, because it's Mount Panorama and it's a long distance race here, and they always do. It's just one of those things. It's a crazy old joint, this Shebex. Um it's every time you come here you get goosebumps and it doesn't change whether it's this event or the 1000
0: yeah no, definitely right mate all right good on you crowsey all the best mate enjoy the rest of the week up there it's going to be really hectic for you i know with the work that you do up there but uh it'll roll through buddy and then sunday will be a massive day as always thanks for your time today and we'll catch you up next week with a full wrap
1: yeah looking forward to uh, the regular service provider uh, returning on uh, the grid this year mate it's going to be a good season it certainly
0: is richard Crowell joining us here on the grid that word, because you know, you can't touch this. You can't touch this. Break it down. And joining us on the line is a man that I'm sure is exceptionally happy to be back in Australia. His name is Chris Myes, He drives for the Audi Sport team, and he joins us on the line now. G'day, Chris. How are you? Uh, thanks for joining us, Chris. Thanks for having me, mate. Uh, my pleasure. And first of all, welcome back to Australia. Ah, oh, it's great. It's great. It's great to be back in Australia. I really
3: missed it. I'm, I'm happy to be back.
0: Tell us about this time of year for you. It, it's obviously a busy time of the year, but coming back to Mount Panorama, a place that uh, you've been to a few times now, is it always a special time of the year for you to look forward to?
3: Yeah, obviously. You know, first of all, if you come to Australia, the weather is usually quite good compared to Europe. We're in the middle of the winter. So uh, already from the weather side, it, it's, it's good to be back. And then, yeah, the race is, is really special, you know, and um, to kick the season off, to start the season with, uh, with a 12-hour race on, on the probably most popular track or one of the most popular tracks in the world is it's always nice.
0: What is it about Mount Panorama that just excites you and, and makes you want to come back every year?
3: I, I think it's the whole atmosphere. It's like you can hear the people cheer from the outside when you're in the car, you know, they make such a good vibe and it's also the track itself which is so so challenging um it's very unique you know it's it it, it, it's almost like a mix of different um tracks like you know like number 24 and and spa 24 you know those kind of tracks um and it it, it's just really special to drive. you have to get close to the walls there's no room for mistakes so you so you can't mess it up and it's actually pretty pretty cool um to, to to try and find the limit off the car without crashing out
0: you did that a couple of years ago chris where you found the absolute limit of your audi and broke the track record and uh, went under two minutes for a lap of mount panorama take us through the memories of that lap and do you try and repeat what you did in that or was that or is that just going to be a special occasion
3: I, I think that was once in a lifetime chance so we we took out all the restrictions we have gotten from the FIA. Uh, in terms of weight and restrictor, so the car was unrestricted, uh, and we just went for it. and I remember it really well because um, the last session we had was quite packed with cars, so I, in the end I just had one lap. Um, the fuel was on the limit as well, so I knew this is the last chance. and I got lucky I just I just um, caught a car towards the end of the lap, so we could have been a little bit faster, I think, but not by much. And anyway, it, it was so cool, you know, the cars so fast with, with no weight and w- with all the power. If we get up to 600-650 horsepower um, going up the mountain and, and with all the downforce, you know, especially on top of the mountain, the cars so, so fast. And it was a really cool experience. Um, obviously, with all the BOP we're going to have for this weekend, um, the cars will be a lot slower. But it was still cool to, to show everyone what those GT3 cars are capable of.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt about that. GT3 racing in Australia has been popular for a long time. Obviously, not as big as it is over in Europe, though. Are you finding that the fans are becoming more educated and more understanding of uh, of the category of racing?
3: Well, I, I think the fans here are pretty good. They're real motorsport enthusiasts, so it, it's pretty damn cool to to hear them cheering when you are on a, on a shootout lap, or if you if you're in the last lap of the race and they're real race fans is what i like and obviously gt sport is new for them but um i think it's up to us the 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 better the show we make the better it is for them you know they they got to love it and um i think it's it's really really cool that we get to show those people here um what gt sport what gt sport can deliver
0: as i look down the list of drivers and the uh, fantastic cars that'll be up at the mountain this weekend i look at the amount of combinations and draw and cars that have former bathurst winners in them how much of an advantage is it for you to have a guy like garth chander as one of your co-drivers
3: yeah garth is is um unreplaceable for us he's a very important part of the team um first of all he knows the team very well um he works with them all year and also he knows um the place Bathurst like almost no one else and you know there's a reason why so many teams rely on v8 drivers it's because they have so much knowledge about the, uh, about the track. And um, to have Garth here, he can read the race like no one else. So to have him on my car was almost a, a big wish from my side. i a lot to have him on my car. And finally, uh, it became true. And I'm really happy to have him together with Mieko.
0: This uh, race, Chris, obviously, as you said, it's the start of the season for, uh, for your championship. Can the season be won or lost in this race? Um,
3: yeah, definitely. I think that's also one of the reasons why we come here with three cars from Audi Sport, uh, from Audi Sport Team Valverline because um, actually it's it's you, you can get a lot of points here. It's a 12-hour race, so there's a lot to win, but also a lot to lose, like we saw last year when uh, we both, or like just one car finished, but rarely in the points. So to have three cars here this time from Audi Sport Team Velveline is really, really good. Um, it increases our chances of... Uh, of getting points, high points, and probably leave this place as the IGTC championship leaders.
0: Chris, at 30 years of age, you've achieved a fair bit in your career, three-time FIA GT3 European champion, twice winner of the Bathurst, 12-hour numerous other races as well as championships. You even won the Australian GT championship a few years ago. How much is left in your career and what haven't you achieved that you'd love to
3: well, I, like you said, I'm 30 years old, but I don't feel like, actually, like, um, I, I've won the book 24 twice, and this was also my biggest dream. Um, and, you know, I I, I feel like I'm, I'm probably ready to go to Le Mans. I think it's not a place where you should go too early, um, especially because it's quite um, demanding and unforgiving. So you need a bit of experience to go there. You need to understand. When I was younger, I was like a bit of a hothead, I would say. Um, but this changed over the years, and the more experience I got now, I feel like more and more ready. So within the next few years, I I want to go and do the Le Mans 24. I want to do it in a proper proper lineup, proper team, proper car, and try to have a shot. Um, obviously, since Audi doesn't have an LMP1 project anymore, it's got a bit more difficult. But um, yeah, within the next few months or years, I will start working on that to to make sure like I will probably have five or six years of racing in the mall. This is probably the biggest dream. Um, and everything besides that, to be honest, I'm quite happy. Uh, Audi so far fulfilled all my dreams. Uh, I can't complain. I did everything I could ever imagine. And, yeah, I'm, I'm really, really happy.
0: 12-hour, 24-hour racing, endurance racing itself is just such a different breed to normal touring car sprint racing that we see here in Australia quite often throughout the season. Are you a nervous watcher when you're not in the car what's your routine when your other drivers are in the car do you get involved
3: well obviously as a driver you always like to be in the car um but like like you said it's a 12 hour race so um you have to share the car obviously um but this is also or this was also one of the reasons why I wanted to have Mirko and and Garth because I have full trust in them so if I'm not in the car I don't feel like I have to be in the car because they do uh, minimum the same job as I could do. So they deliver the same job. And, yeah, so I'm, I'm not concerned at all. So I can relax, I can get prepared for the next run, and um, hopefully I can continue what they have started.
0: And as a driver also, uh, preparation for the day, Chris, uh, take us through the, uh, the 24 hours beforehand. Obviously, you have qualifying on the Saturday. And then take us through from the – after qualifying through to race start because obviously it's a fairly shortened period. You've got to be at the track quite early to get ready for the start of the race.
3: Yeah, so nowadays, you know, when GT racing started and we came here the first time, it was pretty basic, I would say. Yeah. Um, nowadays, it's a lot of meetings, a um, lot of preparation, a lot of data – Um, So you probably, after qualifying, you're at the track for at least, I would say, five more hours, four or five more hours, watching data, have meetings and stuff like that. Um, Then go to bed early, try to rest. Um, Even if you can't sleep that early, uh, you may try just to relax a little bit, maybe watch a bit of the race from last year to understand how some drivers drive, you know, to read the situation and stuff like that, just to prepare yourself. And yeah, then it's the big day. Usually, to be honest, as a driver, you're still nervous, or I am still nervous. So, sleeping before the of before a big race is always a bit difficult. Um, so, if you manage to get about five to seven hours of sleep, that would be great, and then wake up fully, fully re-energized for for the big day.
0: And then through the through the 12 hours of racing, it's uh, fully awake for you. Do you get the opportunity to maybe have a, a, a half an hour or an hour's sleep just to sort of rest up?
3: Um, yeah, um, I normally don't. It's a sh- compare compared to other races, it's quite a short race, um, 12 hours. So you don't really sleep. You probably have a massage and try to rehydrate. Um, when I saw the temperatures for for the upcoming weekend, mm-hmm. it seems to be really, really hot. So um, we need to try and cool down as much as possible, um, rehydrate, and um, yeah, then just uh, mentally focus on the next stint.
0: Chris, I'll ask you about the the last couple of months here in Australia. You've obviously seen the the fires and the like that we have. As a guy who has an affiliation with Australia, do you watch that from abroad and and sort of take it in and and understand what's happening down here?
3: Yeah, obviously it has been been a big thing. It was also in our news. Uh, I think every one of us has uh, donated um, to different different, um, things. And yeah, unfortunately, it has been quite big this year which is really, really bad, really sad. Um, as far as I understood, the, the the rain which came recently, the last couple of days helped it a little bit. It's probably not done yet, um, but I still hope, and I still hope we can find and and raise some more money to help everyone out here in Australia, because it's such a beautiful country. Myself and a few friends have spent a couple of weeks here now as like a, Prep um, holiday trip, so we went to Melbourne, Sydney, and Gold Coast. Awesome. Um, and it's just a beautiful country, and every one of us fell in love. I, were, I fell in love already a couple of years ago, but they, I have made them fell in love with the country as well. So every one of us is a big fan of the country, and it's, it was really sad, but I still hope we we can help and, and, and find a solution to, to have everyone who got affected by the bushfires.
0: Well, Christopher, we really do appreciate you coming back to our shores again to race the Bathurst 12 hour. We hope to see you here for the next few years to come as well as you provide a very, very uh, exciting brand of racing up on the mountain with you and the other guys that come over from Europe and the like. Thanks for your time today, really do appreciate the chat and good luck on the weekend. Thank
3: you very much, thank you very much. I hope uh, I can count on your support. That's all we need, and I hope we also can put a good show for everyone watching the race.
0: Christopher Myers joining us here on The Grid. Yeah. And joining us on the line for a chat, we say day for the first time for 2020 to Mark Walker. Hello, Mark.
2: Hello, Shebex. Happy new decade to you. Looking forward to it. Off-seasons suck, though, don't they? It's just too long.
0: <laughs> they certainly do. And I suppose we're fortunate that we've got the 12-hour starting at the start of February. Otherwise, it still would have been another three weeks before we actually got to see a race.
2: Yeah, it's, it's good and it's bad. I, the 12-hour, I love being a spectator at it, being a punter trackside. It's the one event at Bathurst where you can walk everywhere and get to see everything in 12 hours, still have time to spare, to have a little lie down at halftime. But as a competitor or a team, oh, it sucks. It's so hard. It's so long. It's such a long day because yeah. you get up uh, 3 a.m. And, you know, that's if you have a nice uh, easy uh, Saturday and don't have to do an all-nighter, then it's hot as buggery all day long and you've, got to hope to still be going at the end of 12 hours so uh, it's a good and bad event Uh, I'm glad I'm just going to be watching it on TV.
0: As I will be and really looking forward to seeing a guy who has started off his 2020 in fantastic form in Chas Mostert what a great win for him at Daytona he's now in the Bathurst 12-hour field and in three weeks time he'll get the opportunity to once again shoot for victory over at the Adelaide 500.
2: You know, good drivers don't forget how to drive, do they? So, I mean, Chaz, uh, yeah, he's still a gun, isn't he? Um, Very quick at Mount Panorama, so uh, he's got form on the board there, obviously, Bathurst 1000 winner, and he's shown great form in the GT3s, in the BMWs in recent years. So he'll be hot to trot, and obviously that team, they had to be perfect uh, last weekend at Daytona to beat the Porsches. So, uh, obviously, Matty Campbell finished third over there at Daytona. He's uh, returning to the scene of the crime last year where he claimed the win, uh, an awesome win last year. I, I think it's going to take a little while to still get over that one, but uh, it really was the making of Maddie this event last year and you know, a few of those moves late. I mean, obviously, there was the pass at Forest Elbow, which everyone talks about, the pass that was ultimately for the win. The one that really uh, gets me going was the one that he put on the – the yellow Mercedes down there at Hell Corner. He chucked him mm. a massive dummy and got the job done, which was fantastic. And I, I think that was the move of the race. But, uh, you know, Matty really put himself on the map there in the little Porsche universe. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how he goes this weekend.
0: Mark, how important for this race is it that we have so many big-name V8 supercar drivers in the field? Uh, does it does it, uh, makes, does it ensure that the attention from just the normal punter is going to be there towards this race?
2: Of course. But you know what I think it does? It makes the supercar drivers stand out. Like, you know, these are our best drivers up against the best drivers from around the world in the cars that these best drivers from around the world are used to driving. So I mean, if our guys turn up there and do a great job, which they have done over the years, it really does shine a good light, a positive light on what we do here in supercars. So I think it's good for the for the public, you know, it gives those Sort of, uh, you know, casual view is something to, to cheer for, but it, it really does gauge how good our guys are.
0: Yeah, it certainly does. Uh, do you have a winner? Crail's well, just absolutely sat on the fence and wouldn't give me one?
2: Classic Crail. Um, <laughs> how, how can you? I mean, like he says, there's 20 pro entries and realistically any of them can, if they have a good day, they can get it done. Um, you know, the, the Porsches were have been very good in recent times so i mean i think they'll be good but you can never rule out say the triple eight um mercedes i mean mm. jamie winkup and um van gisberg i mean they, they have every single chance of being right up there in the podium mix so uh, yeah who knows could be anyone
0: and not to have Craig Lowndes with them this year is a, an interesting decision of course he's gone to Ulbamba motorsport and driving a porsche
2: I think that's a bit of a long-term play there for Craig because there was a bit of an agenda play last year to try and get a, a seat over at Le Mans, but obviously picking the Porsche route early in the year now and hopefully uh, for Craig that sort of sets up some opportunities down the road. I think that's all that is. It's not, uh, it's not a dish on um, AAA or what they're doing, it's just a, a play to secure a seat down the road over in Europe.
0: Hasn't been too busy in the world of supercars. A couple of stories over the last couple of months since we finished the program last year in the end of Newcastle. But the one thing I suppose that's interesting is the way that the line, the driver lineup, has finalised itself.
2: Has it? Well, Who's well, driving the it? second has team Sydney car?
0: Yeah, well, true too.
2: Yeah, that's the uh, mystery. The supercars website came out the other day and said that Chris is a big shot there, which, I mean, you wouldn't be saying that unless you had some intelligence, so... Uh, That'll be interesting. Uh, Courtney, Pither combination, uh, Team Sydney slash Techno, however it all sort of pans out. Um, yeah, that, uh, a little bit bit slow in that world. I mean, it, it always just plays out late there because everyone gets their the cars rebuilt over the summer and it's always a last-minute rush to get deliveries out there and all the driver combinations. I hope some of the teams just hold off on their enduro combinations. That's always a bugbear of mine that mm. you get an extra dip at the news cycle if you announce your Enduroco drivers a little bit further down the track instead of coming out with all your news at one hit at the start of the season. So uh, I hope we see a bit of a, a spread out of that so uh, more of these guys get a, a hit in the news.
0: We saw plenty of uh, aero changes and the like last year throughout the season to try and amend the Commodore and also the uh, the Mustang. Or to, to come towards the Mustang and it also affected the uh, the Nissan as well. Supercars now confirming some more changes have been made to both cars. Is this the last we're going to hear of this for 2020?
2: God, I hope so. I think everyone hopes so yeah. because last year was an absolute Barry Crocker. Uh, last thing we need is, is uh, any more complaining about that sort of thing. Uh, and it took them two bites of the cherry to get it done too. So hopefully uh, that second round of VCAT testing, they're able to figure it all out and iron out all the creases and, and get the job done and set away a package for the rest of the year because that, that really was a bit of a downer last year that uh, there was so much talk that was uh, taking away from what was happening on track but uh, you know hopefully they've got it right they only had two cars to to get right so hopefully they've done that now
0: it's an interesting year isn't it mark 2020 we know that 2021 is going to be gen 2 of supercars and we will find that a lot of the the current generation of supercars will run until the end of 2021 but are we going to see are we going to see uh, teams invest as much in this current spec model or will they start now planning towards the future
2: well, it just depends what that next spec is i mean now, a lot of the talk has been about changing the roll cage so you can make the two-door cars look better you know have a mustang that looks better and have something that they're prepared to put a camaro on top of uh yeah um, i'm being interested to see whether they'll be able to modify their existing cars then it might just be a case of all right we'll do a bit of a cut and shut here and away we go if they're starting from scratch again that's a mightily expensive exercise again you know it's going back to 2013 when uh all the teams got their payout for selling their share of the sport, and you know then they had to spend all their money on building these new cars. So hopefully whatever they've got at the moment isn't a throwaway, and they can keep the basis of what they've got and, and just sort of refine the, the system for whatever the, the future holds. So yeah, hopefully all the running gear stays the same, and it's just a, a minor tweak to the chassis to get it done.
0: Last year we saw control suspension, even the field up a fair bit, and I think that's fair to say, uh, especially in regards to the way that Triple Eight handled it at the start of the year. Control dampers this year, more tyres. Is the uh, the field going to be closer again to these Mustangs?
2: Well, I think it's anyone's game. It's uh, a matter of who gets on top of this damper package. I mean, you've got Triple Eight who have been running the, the Sachs products since day dot, you've got Penske who have been running the Penske products. So, I mean, it's completely uncharted territory for those guys to be turning up to a race meeting on the Super Shocks. You've got other teams who have been running Super Shocks. I'm not quite sure. I think it's a slightly different spec uh, shock to what the Super Shock was last year. But still, you know, those guys, the top teams. They're the top teams for a reason. They're the smartest operators. They've got the most cash. They can invest in all the simulation and and everything that goes around it. So, you know, it'll be a quick turnaround. I don't know how many are going pre-season testing, but there's a a pre-season all-in test at the Bend just before the Adelaide 500, which is going to be fairly crucial. But then again, they turn up to Adelaide and you've got a bumpy street track, which is, unless you've gone testing at QR, it's going to be a hard thing to simulate on a billiard table smooth track like the Bend. So the smart teams are going to have to be smart and I think it's an opportunity for everyone else to catch up if they're on their game.
0: Look forward to plenty of chats throughout season two thousand and twenty, mate. Thanks for your time today. Really do appreciate it, and uh, we will talk again soon. Bring it on, Mark Walker joining us here on the grid. Yeah, oh my god, Betty. oh my god, yeah, hey. 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 Hey.
1: oh
0: my god, oh my god. Yeah. Well, there you have it. Our first episode of On the Grid for two thousand and twenty wrapped up and locked in the can. Richard Crowell, Chris Myes and also Mark Walker joining us and a big preview of the 12 hour there we'll have a review of it next week right here on the good thanks to our great friends of course at the uh, the racetalk.com don't forget to uh, catch up there plenty of stories on the racetalk.com right throughout this Bathurst 12 hour weekend we'll catch you next week till then